Great to see all of you, have all of you here this morning. Uh, we are wrapping up today our final chapter of Regroup, okay, part five of Regroup. If you're here as a guest, want to welcome you. It's really great that you're here, but I want you to know that you're coming in at the end of the movie, but that's okay because you'll be able to connect with what we talk about. If you want to go back and, and hear anything we uh, have talked about in the last few weeks, you can go to our website. Uh, highly recommended if you missed any one of the the, the series that we've been doing in Regroup. But the whole idea that we've been going after this is, uh, you know, a lot of people have this idea of church, and it's, you see it right here, right now, okay? How are we meeting right now? In, in rows, right? And when people go to church, they think, oh, it's about rows. No, that's not, that's not the way Jesus intended it. In fact, Jesus had wanted this to happen. He wanted to create a community of his followers who are in real relationships creating community, creating this, this family where people are in each other's lives helping each other grow, helping each other succeed, helping each other to go to that next level wherever you are in your life. So we've been talking about this for the last few weeks, uh, and, and today we're going to kind of finalize it, but I just want to say even though today is the final part of the series, next week is the beginning Starting next week, you're going to get into your groups, and if you're a guest here today, I want to invite you. You can be a part of a group also, uh, but it is something where you, you become a part of it and you get connected with people. Uh, so we talked about these things. Week one, we talked about this, and let's say this together. Circles are better than rows. Let's, let's say it together. Circles. And we believe this. See, because rows don't know what's going on in our lives. But circles do. When I, can, when I can sit across the table from you and we can look eye to eye, we can see what's happening in each other's lives and we can really help each other. That's what it's about, is, is helping each other to go to that next level and, and to avoid uh, great challenges. So we talked about this. Then week two, we talked about this. I need you, you need me. Uh, we live in a world where this doesn't get practiced, but the truth of the matter is uh, we need people in our lives. And, uh, you know, you, you scramble. When you go through a hard time, you scramble to get people around you to help you to get through that situation. So we believe in our churches, we want to go ahead and set this up on the front end, right? We want to make sure we're doing this in the beginning, not when the disaster strikes, but way before. So uh, do, you, do you believe this? Are you guys here with me today? So why don't you turn to your neighbor and just go ahead and say, I need you, you need me. Okay? You need me. All right. Then week three, uh, we, we passed out. I want to tell you about the, uh, want to tell you about the surveys. Look at all these surveys that we got back about uh, groups and what you said about groups. And I want to kind of give you a little bit of the results of the, the survey. It basically confirmed Everything we've been talking about for the last few weeks, but from your vantage point. A couple of the questions. Please circle one of the followings that describes you. Are you in a small group? Almost everybody, I'm in a small group. Uh, and, and, and do you agree that, uh, that being in a small group has helped you in either deeper connection with God and, and almost, you know, everybody? Uh, yeah, it actually helped me connect with God more. Uh, and, and are you comfortable? Here's, a, here's an interesting one. Uh, are you comfortable being transparent in front of a group? Okay, there were some extroverts that they said, oh yeah, 
very comfortable. Uh, you know, maybe some of the borderline people, uh, somewhat comfortable, and I get that. You need to understand that being vulnerable in a group and transparent is not easy for anybody, but it's necessary, right? And so that's, that's, the, that's the tension with the group was when you get in a group, you're going to have to volunteer something in your life, give something, even though it may not be comfortable. Uh, you know, some really great feedback. Uh, you know, what do you love most about being in a small group? Uh, I'll read one for you here. It says, uh, being close with people and having our kids of the same age, being close to each other, growing up together, doing life together. Uh, the, some people put the consistency. Uh, what are some of the recommendations that you'd like to see? And, and, and almost everybody said that they'd like to see us doing these series that we do so we can go over things together. Uh, you know, there was an array of, of, of comments, but all very positive, all saying, yeah, we need to be in groups. And, and we need to take groups to the next level. So that's what this series is all about. So we talked about that. Then week, week uh, three, we talked about take it personally. Take it personally, which means this is important to me. This is very important to me. I don't want to mess around. I feel like this is vital in my life. So I take it personally. Uh, it's, it's that important. And then last week, Mike did a tremendous job talking about offenses build fences. And anytime you get in a group and you have relationships, guess what there's going to be? Go ahead and say it. Offenses. We're not talking about football here. We're talking about you're going to offend me, I'm going to offend you. I didn't mean to do it, but it happens. It's just how we are. Married people know this. You got married and you thought, oh man, we're going to be in love. No, no, no. You're going to offend each other a lot. And that's why forgiveness is so important. That, and, and, and that you, what Mike talked about is do what? Drop it. Drop it. Let it go. Okay? And that's what Jesus really helps us with. Today we're going to talk about, uh, and I want to talk to a group that I believe is the most important and has the greatest impact on groups. Okay? And, and these, these, this group of people that I'm going to talk to today uh, really make it or break it with groups. Okay? In our church. Uh, any idea what group I'm going to speak to today? Here we are. Men. Guys. Do you know, do you know that we are the key to having successful groups? It's huge. When men lead, when men take initiative, when men step forward and say, I want to be a part of a group, and I'm going to give and, 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 and give my heart in a group, guess what happens? Everything flows behind it. Everything goes behind it. Uh, so I want to talk to the men today. So can I get a, a deep, resounding amen from the men? Okay, we don't normally do this, but amen, amen. Okay, I'm a man. Okay, are you ready for this today? Okay, and, and let me just say this. You're not going to get this anywhere else today where someone is going to have your back. Okay, really have your back. Not just now, but in the future. Okay, so even though I'm going to talk to the women, hey, women, I mean, I'm not going to talk to the women. I'm going to talk to the men. Women, you're included. This applies to you. So you don't just take the day off and go, okay, talking to you, bro. No, I'm, I'm going to talk to all of us here today. 
And, and many of this is what we're going to talk about applies. Uh, so here's one of the tendencies that we guys have a problem with. You ready? We tend, we drift towards isolation, independence, and autonomy. Autonomy is just a cool word that says self-governing, self-rule. I'm my own master. I call the shots. That's what autonomous means. Uh, we don't just drift towards these three things. We actually want it. We, 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 we look for it. We desire it. And there's a reason. It's because very prominent people in our society right now, they model this for us. You know what I'm talking about? Business people, you know, very successful businessmen. Guess what very successful businessmen model for us? Isolation. They're very independent. They're on their own. If they have an entourage, they, they, there's a distance there. And they're very independent. No one tells them what to do. Okay, you've got athletes in the same, the same position, professional athletes that we, we look up to, we, we idolize. You've got celebrities, both men and women. They, they tend towards this. Uh, and, and, and not just celebrities, artists, you know. Anybody that's in a high position, they, they model this. And so guys, we want that because we see it. And what comes along with it? And as you get older as a guy, there's kind of this low-grade anger that comes up, bubbles up. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You kind of, you got an edge because you're not that guy that you thought you were going to be, the successful. And, and, and you know, you're driving down the road and you look next to you and there's this, this young, young guy and he's got this really nice black car. And your car's dirty and dusty, but his is clean and shiny. Right? He's young. He's successful. At least he looks that way. He's got money. Right? And you go, why am I not like that guy? You know, or you go to work and you see these, these other people that have risen and they're successful. And you go, why am I not that guy? I've been working hard and I haven't made it. And then we go home and we look at our wives and we say, you know, I'm not happy with her anymore right? This happens, okay? I'm telling you, this happens. Don't say like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Then, then, then you look at your kids and you say, ah, oh, my kids, man, they're not, they haven't turned out the way I wanted. You know, I'm not, I'm not happy with my job. You know, my job, it just gets on my nerves. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not happy, you know? And, and, and you, become, you become angry, you know, you just got this anger, and you're, you're always angry all the time. And here's the problem with that. Anger isolates. You become isolated. You know why? Because people don't know, what, what's your problem, bro? What's your problem, dude? And you know what the saddest part? The people that we love, we hurt because they think you're angry at them. But you're not really angry at them. Who are you angry with? You're angry with yourself. So let's just square something away here today, right now. Okay, guys, if you're angry, if you're angry with, you know, your wife, that she's not all that, if you're angry that your kids haven't turned out the way that you wanted and your job hasn't turned out the way you wanted and the car's not the one that you wanted, let's just settle something right now. 
You married her. Who married her? You married her. Who raised those children that you're not happy with? Who raised them? You did. That car that you don't like, who bought it? You did. That job that you don't like, who applied for it? You did. Dude, you put you where you are. It's you. So let's deal with it. It's you. Okay? It's you. It's nobody else. It's you. Embrace it. Right? Singles. Can I talk to the singles in the house? Single guys, you need what we're going to talk about today. You know why? Because you need someone in your life that's going to help you. Because see, some of you are going to wait to work on these things until you get married. And that's not the time to work on these things. The time to work on these things is now. Okay? Before you get married. Because when you're married, it's kind of late. Okay? It's really late, and it's problematic. What you need are guys in your life that go and say, dude, do you always act this way? You need people like that in your life that can help you, that can say those things to you, right? And, and students, same thing. We need people in our lives, right? Married adults, doesn't matter where you fall in this category. You need people in your life. As we're going to see today, you can do some really squirrely stuff as an older man. So today we're going to talk about an example in the scriptures. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite example. It's probably one of the saddest examples that I know of the scriptures. Uh, and, and it's this, it's David and Bathsheba. It, it, you know, I, I, I read through the Bible in a year, and every time I get to this point in the Bible, I'm like, mm, so sad. So sad. It's depressing. I looked up to David, you know, since early on when I started reading the Bible as a college student. And I want to encourage you, read the Bible. This this story we're going to look at today is juicy. It's the TMZ version of the Bible. You need to read this story. And you know what this reason why? This proves to me that this is the Word of God, that what we read is not, you know, some story, because if somebody made up the story, they wouldn't include all the dirt and the garbage. This is real. And the Bible is honest with us, very brutally, ugly honest with us for a reason, to teach us, don't go down this road. And it's a slippery slope that you and I can be involved in. All right, so you ready to go into the story of David and Bathsheba? And, and, and you, you know, if you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to get one. You can get one for free on your phone. It's called Version. I highly recommend you read this story. It starts in 2 Samuel. Okay, you can just plug it in, and it'll take you right there to the spot. Couldn't be easier today to, to get, navigate the Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. So we're going to pick up David's life here. Now, I want to be, before I begin, just tell you a little bit about David. David's not a young man at this point. David is 50 years old. He's been a king for 20 years. He's a grown man. He's a grown-up. He's not, he's not a college student, you know, rocking around with his shirt off and, you know, hey, I'm this and I'm that. No, he's not like that. This is a grown man and what he's about to do. In the spring, at the time when kings go off 
to war. David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Do you see a problem with this? Pretty clear, isn't it? David, in the springtime, what do kings do during the springtime? They, they go to battle. Okay, if we talk about groups, who's David's group? Fellow warriors, right? Fellow warriors. David, it should be going with his fellow warriors. These are his peers. These are the guys that he's been doing life with for many, many years. But he didn't go. And, and he sent the king's men. Why isn't the king with his men? And he remained in Jerusalem. Maybe he's thinking, I'm too old for this. I'm tired. I'm taking a break. So you see a problem here. Verse 2. One evening, when he's chilling at home, one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, very attractive. He's 50. How old do you think she was? 50? No. She's a young woman. And David, you know, in the palace basically is the highest building in the city of Jerusalem. So you basically see everything. And you can see down on other people's houses. And he sees this woman. Verse 3. And David sent someone to find out about her. He didn't have to do this himself. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife, the wife, the wife of Uriah. That, that should, the wife, Eliam, who's Eliam? Eliam's father was one of David's trusted advisors. This isn't some, you know, distant person. No, this is, this is like his inner circle, okay, almost family. This is his granddaughter, okay? Bathsheba is his trusted advisor's granddaughter, a guy that helped David in his moments of needing advice. You know, like the president, he has his advisory committee. That was one of the guys then it says the wife of Uriah, Uriah, who is Uriah? Is just some guy? No, Uriah was a trusted fellow warrior. How many soldiers did David have at his disposition at Israel at the time? Hundreds of thousands. Uriah was in a small select group called the 30. In other words, he helped David become David. He was a trusted friend. And the reason he could see Bathsheba because Uriah lived close to the palace because that's what the close circle do. They live close to the king, so they will be there in an instant to protect the king when the king needs protection. Verse 4. And David sent a messenger to get her. And we're not going to read the rest of the story, but basically the story goes like this. He had her up to his room, 
They talked, he entertained her, and he slept with her. The wife of his loyal fellow warrior, guy that was willing to die for him at any given moment, slept with her. And his trusted advisor's granddaughter. And so he sends her, he sends her home. And, and what I believe happened, because if you kind of read between the lines, and that's what you have to do with the Bible, sometimes you, you read it, you study it, and you read commentaries, you find out, wow, there's more to this. This wasn't a one-night event. She sends word back, hey, David, I'm pregnant, and you're the father. Well, how do you know I'm the father? You look at the timing, it's right there in the verses. He's the dad. And basically, she tells him, you're the dad, we've got a problem, I'm pregnant, and I'm married. Now, let's go back to this verse before. Who, who, did, who, did, David, who did David send to get her? Messengers, right? These are what? Servants. Could be a slave, servants. Now, do servants talk? Do they share information? Absolutely. You guys have jobs, right? Do you share information about the boss? Oh, yeah. You share about the boss. When he got there, what he did, what he didn't do, who he's with, where you saw him. Okay, so this is spreading like wildfire. David's having an affair with one of his soldiers, his commander's wife. His advisor's granddaughter spread all over. This is going on right in the palace. So what does David do? What all men do? Control the outcome. I got this woman pregnant. I got to control this. So what does he do? He sends for Uriah. He's got a plan. Guys always have a plan, don't we? When we're in a fix and we're in a problem, guess what we do? We come up with a plan and we try to control it. We want to control everything. So he, can, he invites Uriah to come. Now Uriah is a commander, one of the 30. Do you think he's important in the war? He's vital. So he comes up with this story that I want Uriah, I want you to come and tell me how it's going in the war. That's not his job. They got messengers to do that. Messengers go back daily to tell him the information. Why is Uriah coming to give David information and spend time? It's weird. It's weird. So David has him, and, and they, they spend time together, and so David tells, hey, Uriah, now that you're here, wink, wink, why don't you, you know, chill out, relax. I'll see you tomorrow. Wink, wink. Maybe go home and see your wife. But look at what happened kind of guy that Uriah is. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, dude, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? You've got this beautiful wife. You're in town for a couple of days. Why wouldn't you go see her? Look at this guy's heart. Uriah said to David, the ark of Israel, the ark and Israel, and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and the Lord's men are camped out in the, camped in the open country. 
How could I go to my house, eat and drink and make love with my wife, to my wife, as surely as you live? I will not do such a thing. You know what the guy's saying? I'm on duty. I know you invited me to come here, but I'm on duty. And there's a whole backstory to this, why soldiers didn't do it. It's like a fighter. You don't, you don't do that when you're about to be a fight. You need every bit of your strength and energy, focus. Everything is on the line. It's even a spiritual implication. No, I can't do that. This guy's better than David. He's loyal to the core. So what does David do? He comes up with another plan. Guys always do. I got, a, I got plan A, got plan B. So plan B is, I'm going to have them. Okay, Ryan, I want you to come over tonight. We're going to have a party. We're going to have a dinner. You know, we'll have some entertainment. Hey, we'll have some beverages. Okay, before I send you off, okay, we'll have a big time together. How about that? Sound good? So David gets him drunk. Here, have some more. Why did David get him drunk? See, because I will not do such a thing very decided, very like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stick to my guns and my conviction. When you get drunk, do you stick to your guns and stick to what are your convictions? No, you'll do things outside of your mind when you're drunk. So David figures, and this is the crazy thing, David can figure out a solution to this plan, but he has no idea what he's doing in his own life and how he's ripping it to pieces. So he gets him drunk, and, you know, sends him, go see your wife, and turns out he didn't do it again. Didn't go be with his wife. Slept out with the servants at the front gate, with the rest of the soldiers and the servants. And so David comes up with another plan. And this is probably the most ugly part of this whole plan. David basically writes a letter to Joab, his commander, and says, Joab, I need you to take care of a problem for me. I have a problem. It's a big one. I need you to take care of it for me. And David writes a letter. And guess who he gives the letter to? I want you to deliver this to Joab. He gives it to Uriah. Uriah, I want you to deliver the letter to Joab. Guess what's in the letter? Look at what's in the letter. In it he wrote, put Uriah in front where the fighting is the fiercest, then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down in what? What's in the letter? And you're giving it to Uriah to deliver his own death letter? This is, this is dark. David's in a really, really bad place. And Joab does it. So, Uriah is killed. Problem solved. Bathsheba, she mourns over Uriah's death. You know, the symbolic, traditional time frame. And then David says, okay, time's over. You're done. Now you come and live with me. You're going to be my wife. We're going to cover this whole thing up. She's pregnant. He brings her in his palace, marries her. Now, if you're watching this whole thing happen and you're a servant or you're in the house help, what do you see here? Wait a minute. David 
this doesn't make sense. Uriah dies, then David brings her into the house, then she gets pregnant really quick, maybe too quick. People can do the math, can't you? You can do the math, right? We hear stuff that's going on in the news media, and you go, nah, nah, that's not true, right? You can do the math. Everybody knows it's out there. This is awful. This is awful. He thinks it's controlled, but here's something you've got to understand. There's two dots that David did not, did not connect. Number one, that everybody knows. When you think nobody knows, everybody knows. See, here's the thing, guys. We try to go to so much trouble to keep our lives private, don't we? We got passwords, right? You know, and you guys that are young, you got, you got, you got, you know, these, these apps where you send out pictures and, and it erases themselves, right? Erase themselves. I'm going to send you a picture and it erases. Does it? Do you know that the platform Snapchat got, you know, checked by the government because they had a data file where they said it was erased, but it really wasn't erased? They had it on their hard drive. All your stuff. And you think stuff goes away. You think it's, oh, it's just a conversation and we got passwords. They crack passwords. Nothing's private, guys. Eventually, everything. So that's the first thing. The next thing is, how's this going to play out with my family? See, what David thought, it was just him. It's just him, Uriah, maybe a few situations. He had no idea what was going to happen. And you need to understand this, guys, because we do this. We don't connect the dots. We don't connect the dots. David permanently, permanently undermined his credibility and his moral authority with his adult children. His adult children are like, Dad? Really? Dad? You, you slept with Bathsheba? Got her pregnant? Then killed Uriah? One of your one of your guys, one of the ones that helped us, you know, he used to play with us in the, in the, in the courtyard. Uriah, yeah. You killed him? And you covered it up? Permanently. Irreparable damage. He did. See, we think we're controlling things. Guess what? The consequence was the outcome was out of control. Out of control. This thing got so bad, it was irreparable. See, when you make bad decisions, sometimes you'll be forgiven, but you're never going to fix the consequences. See, there's a huge difference, huge difference between forgiveness and consequences. Look at what happened here in chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan. Who's Nathan? Nathan's a prophet. Why did God send a prophet? This is huge. God sent Nathan because no one else had access to David. He had to send a prophet. He had to send Nathan because no one else had access to David. David was inaccessible. So God has to send somebody. Nobody else could talk to David. 
And see, that's what happens when you isolate yourself. Isolation equals inaccessibility. When you isolate yourself, bro, brother, friend, when you're isolated, guess what happens? You're inaccessible. And you think you see and you got everything going on in your life is under under control. No, it's not. You are this close to things spinning terribly out of control. Guys, we do this. We do this. And we think isolation is cool. It's not cool. It's destructive. And you can't be in a relationship. So David is inaccessible. And God sends Nathan because nobody else can reach him. Verse 1, so the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said to him, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. And so he goes into this whole story, and this is, this is crazy, but he tells him this story, and he presents this story like a court case. David, I need your help with this court. Do you know what the crazy thing about kings was? Is kings were judges. And so David disputed cases when he's got this whole situation going on in his life that is awful. So Nathan tells him there's two men. There's a poor man and there's a rich man. The rich man has large numbers of of herds and flocks of cattle and sheep. And the poor man has one sheep. And because he's so poor, that sheep is so dear that the sheep grows up with the children. It's a family pet. You know, kind of like the pets we have when we take our Christmas pictures. Who's in the picture? The pet. And when you grow up with an animal, that, that animal is like a part of the family. You love that animal. You see that animal every day. That's what the little lamb was. So the rich man, he has an out-of-town guest, and instead of slaughtering one of his vast herds of, of animals, he takes the poor man's lamb. I don't want to kill any of my thousands of animals. I'm going to take yours. Horrific story. And he goes, so David... What do you think we should do? What do you think, David? Look at this. David burned with anger against the man. So Nathan, so he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. Careful, David. You know, it's gotten awfully quiet in here right now. I understand. Who's angry? Who's David angry with? He's angry with himself. He hadn't quite put the dots together, but they're coming together quick. And if, it, if there's ever a dot that needs to get put together, a prophet of God will come, and God is faithful. And David, then Nathan said to David, the very famous statement, David, you are the man. It's you, David. It's you. You're the guy. You're the one. See, David, if, if it hadn't been enough, and he goes on and he does this whole thing about, you know, David, the Lord has given you wives upon wives, and then if that's not enough, you have concubines who are the same as wives. David had an array of women, like 20 at his disposal. 
to sleep with, to, to do whatever. I mean, it was just, you know, David was, was wealthy. He was the guy with so much. And, and God said through Nathan, if that wasn't enough, I'd have given you more. Why, David, did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? Why did you do that? Why, David? And this is, we're bringing it all together for everybody. Why? How did this happen? Do you know who David is? David is a champion. Kill Goliath. David was chosen by God. He was somebody special. You know what I admire about David? David was a man after God's own heart. What a special man. What, a, what an incredible leader. A man of God. How did this happen? How could you do this, David? And let me just say this, guys. If we could stop this and fix it from the beginning... And that's why whenever I read this story in the future, it's always going to be different. Because now I got the solution. I got the answer. What was missing in David's life? How did this happen? And, and, and I want you to understand, things got so bad for David. And, and, and the thing is, then, then, then he said to David, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. Is God not merciful? Wow, is God ever merciful? You're not going to die, David, even though you pronounce sentence on yourself. God's not going to treat you the way you treat your own kingdom. I'm going to have mercy on you. But here's something interesting, guys. There's a difference between forgiveness and consequence. God will forgive, but the consequences of our sins they don't go away. They don't go away. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so important. Because some, some of us got this distorted view in our mind that, oh yeah, I can, God will forgive me. Yeah, he will. But the consequences are going to stay with you. And they're going to go down with your children. You want to know how crazy it got? David's children spun out of control. His oldest son rapes his stepsister, one of David's other children through another one of his wives, rapes her. Then the brother of the rape victim kills the stepbrother who was the rapist. And then the same brother who kills the stepbrother runs away, comes back, then wants to take David's position from him as king. He commits treason, wants to kill David, the very balcony where David watched Bathsheba, Absalom, his son, who killed his other son, sleeps with 10 of his servant women out in the open in front of everybody. I mean, this thing, you want to talk about bad, it's terrible. Guys, do we make better decisions when we're isolated or when we're connected? When we're isolated, we make horrible decisions. Let me just say this for everybody who's here in the room, men and women. When you're isolated, you make really bad decisions. That's why groups are so important. We want people in our lives. Look at, look at this. 
we go back to the very beginning. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole men of army of Israel. Then he destroyed the Ammonites and besieged it. But David remained in Jerusalem. Let's just pull it back. Who's David's circle? Warriors. Hey, guys, before we do this, I'm tired. But what do you think? Should I stay or should I go? What would his group tell him? Dude, you got to come with us. You can't stay. You're 50 years old. You're not old. Yeah, but I'm king. You're still king, but you're a warrior, David. Don't elevate yourself. Well, I don't need to go to war. I'm too old for war. I'm a king. I don't have to go out there and and fight those fights. David, you do, because you're with us. We go together. Imagine if David had a circle around him that could have said, dude, you need to come with us. None of this would have happened. None of it. How important are groups, guys? It could save you, your family. So much destruction. And some of us have already lived it. And you can go back and you can start doing the math yourself and start going, oh, you know what? I bet if I didn't do, if I didn't, wouldn't have, if I'd have been in a group, it, it would have been totally different and I wouldn't have done all this. Because some of us have already experienced our massive disasters. And you want to keep doing it? You want to keep repeating the same thing again and again? Now let's fix the problem. Let's get David, let's get a group around him, let's get him to sit down with his group, and he's going to allow them what? Access. Here's a question for you. Are you accessible? Are you accessible? See, because I can answer that question. Oh, yeah, I'm accessible. But can I really answer my own question? No. You know who you need to ask? that question, people that are close to you. This summer, I want to share this with you guys, because we've got to be real, right? I can't sit up here and just preach and say, oh, yeah, you need to do, no, 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 let's be real. This summer, we went through this book, okay? And there's a chapter in this book, we're going through it in our group, right? Remember guys in the group? And there's this chapter on, uh, it's called the, the, the Battle of Pride, how come David got in all this trouble? Pride. And then there's this, there's, there's this quiz at the end of that chapter, and, the cha- and, it, and it goes like this. Uh, take the pride humility test. And I just happen to have the copy right here of the test. This was in July. And so we're talking in the group, and I asked the group, how do you guys think? And, but, you know, they're, they're good friends and everything, but I said, you know what, we need to take this to another level. Let's ask our wives to fill out the test. Okay, let me give you a taste of the questions. You ready? I often ask for advice. Rate yourself one to 10. Wanna know what Laura gave me in July? One to 10, she gave me a seven. Okay. Number two, I listen and continually consider the advice I receive. You want to know what she gave me? Five. 
oh, dude, I, I'm like, wait a minute. Here's another one. <laughs> I continually le- I'm in learner's mode with anyone, anytime, in any situation. You want to know what she gave me in July? Seven. I got no tens, guys. None. Um, here's some, here, I, I'm approachable. Okay, she gave me, I think, an eight that time. That's uh, eight. Uh, eight. I'm down with eight. People around me feel like they can talk to me even if it hurts. She gave me an eight. On matters of opinion and judgment, I am persuadable. I am able to change my mind. Ready for this one? Six. When others are praised and lifted up, I am happy for them. She gave me a nice score on that. It was eight. Okay, so I'm trying to tell you guys that I had a lot of things to work on back in July. And in preparing for this lesson, I gave it back to her and I said, can, you know, because I've been trying to work on it. Can, can you regrade me? All right, and so same questions. Eights and nines, still no tens. What's that tell you? I got some work to do. Here's, here's the answer to my question. Are you accessible? In July? Nah, not enough. Not enough. Now, a little better. Am I where I need to be? I'm your minister, guys, okay? Let's just get honest. Brothers, guys, I'm being honest with you. Will you be honest with you? Will you be honest with yourself? Will you be honest with your wife? Will you be honest with the relationships that you have? Sisters, will you be honest? This is big. You want to avoid terrible decisions, terrible things, and this idea that, well, I'm young, and, you know, it'll all go away, and, you know, it's no big deal. No, it, it, it hangs around. Here's the point. When men... Men, when we isolate ourselves, we don't get in trouble by ourselves, do we? What I'm trying to say is, you're going to affect the people around you. And at some point, that needs to stop. Some of you have been the consequence, you've felt the consequences of your parents or someone in a position that they, they were isolated, they did the terrible decisions, and then you suffered the consequences of it, didn't you? Is that going to repeat itself in you? I'm saying no. Guys, let's not do this. We. Let's be accessible. That's the bottom line today. Be accessible. Here's the thing. I don't care what's out there in the world with these prominent people and celebrities and athletes and whatever the world's dishing out. They are wrong. They are wrong. God created you for community, for relationships, for connections. Why? Because you will avoid terrible disasters. You can't see it. You don't see it. We don't see it, guys. That's why we need people in our lives. We need circles of men who are going to say, you know what, dude, I'm not feeling it with you. And we can do that, can't we? You can tell when somebody's not in a good spot. And we need that. Okay, so here's the decision for all of us. Men, women, all of us. Ready? Are you willing to give people who don't work for you 
and who don't work for you and who don't need anything from you. In other words, they're not going to soften it or, or, or spin it and make you feel good. They're going to be truth tellers in your life that you don't need anything from you. They don't need anything from you and that they, can, they have access to you. Are you ready to do that? See, that's what it means to be in a group. It, it's not about being on a piece of paper here and being able to say, oh, yeah, I'm on, I'm on this group. I'm in this group. No, no, no. If you're in that group, are they going to have access to you? In other words, if they see something in your life, can they tell you? Are you going to invite them to tell you? Well, nobody has to tell me anything. I'm, I'm, I'm my own man. I'm a king. I don't need a small group. I don't need to go to war. I don't need to have people in my life. Trust me. You do. And you have no idea. So, I want to ask you that question. Are you ready for access? Are you going to be accessible? So let's, let's wrap this up, okay? You got to finish. Application. I, I want to call you as your friend, as someone who cares about your future, your relationships, your life. Because see, part of this job that I have, I feel it. When people go down in flames, I feel it. It hurts. And sometimes I want to get away from it. I'm like, you know what? I'm... I'm I'm kind of tired of this job, seeing people mess up their lives over and over again. And I'm trying to help them. And I'm saying, bro, you got to listen to me. But I'm not going to stop because God doesn't stop. So I'm going to ask you, this isn't for you. This isn't for me so you get in a group. Get in a group for me. This is for you. This is to stop you from making terrible decisions. And not just that, you're going to be able to help other people do the same thing. Because I know some of you, you think, man, I'm too old. I'm not going to do anything stupid like David. Too old for that. So it's all about you. You're not going to be able to reach back and help somebody else so they don't do it. And yeah, I would admit, some of you will not do what David did. You won't do that. But somebody in your group might. Will you be a brother's keeper? Will you be there for them? Or is that too low for you? Come on, guys. And we're Christians. Be a faithful friend in the group. Be a faithful friend in the group. This is, this is huge. And God wants to take us to another level of our lives. He's not done with us yet. You say, well, I'm, I'm too old. I, you know, I don't know if God's going to do anything more with me. Of course he's going to do more with you. But you've got to let people in. You've got to let him see what he's up to. And be vulnerable with your group. Be real. And, and this is huge. Guys, parents, 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 you are making a terrible, terrible, some of you are online, you're watching this, you're making a terrible, terrible mistake by outsourcing your children's help to help them become followers of Jesus. They're watching you. You are the primary example for your children. They are going to follow you, not what you say, what you do. You need to be in a group. Model it for them. Show them. 
And even if they get crazy and they do stupid stuff, they're going to remember your example. Oh, yeah, dad was in a group. Mom was in a group. I need to get in a group. Let's do that. And I just want to say at the end, for all of us, our leaders, if you're a, a, a small group leader and you've been in the, in the group meetings for the last few weeks, could you please stand up? I, I want to honor you. I want to honor you. Please stand up if you've been in this small group leader training. Okay? Come on, stand up. Don't, don't hold back. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you for taking your Sunday afternoon from 3 to 5 to train how to do this for the last four weeks. See, because you're the prevention. See, God wants the church to take care of the church. And the church is not a building, guys. It's not a building. It's the people. So your leaders have been going to a lot of trouble, training, getting ready, and you're not going to be in there with them? Who's going to hold their arms up? And I want to call on the students. Students, you guys need to hold up your leaders. You need to help each other, be there for each other so we can genuinely have a group. This whole idea of privacy and I need my space and I need... Let me just say this. Autonomy is a myth. It's a myth. It's an illusion. It's not real. You need, we need people. I don't want to live by myself. I want to be with my wife for the rest of my life. I want to be in relationships for the rest of my life. This whole idea of a retirement where I can sit under a palm tree and chill out by myself and nobody's going to bother me, no phone calls, no responsibility, no nothing, that is empty. I want my life to count. I want to be able to be there for the young men and women and say, hey, I advise you. Let me help you. Let me, let me give you some advice. That's what some of you are. You can give a lot of advice. You've had a lot of experience. You've got your own story. Share that. Right now we're going to take the communion, and I wanted to just, just to read this verse for you because, you know, we talk about forgiveness like it's, you know, oh, yeah, Jesus forgives me. No, no, no. You need to understand forgiveness came at a very, very high price. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Hope I can read this. For you know that it was not with the perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that was handed down to your, from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Forgiveness is precious. Let's cherish it. Let's use it. Let's run with it. I hope that today you can make a decision to be in a group because of Jesus and because you want to prevent more stories like David in your life and in the life of other people. There's people out there that have no idea how to do life. If we can get them into church, everything changes for generations. Let's pray for the communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the hard, real, ugly stories like David. 
God, help us not to follow those examples, but to follow the good examples. Thank you, God, that you provide a circle that we can be a part of. Help us, God, to embrace it, to go after it, to be in a circle, God, where we can help each other, lift each other's arms. Father, I thank you for Jesus right now, for his precious blood that is poured out all over us so we can start fresh. God, help us to make it count. We lift him up right now. We honor you. Bless the communion, the bread, and the fruit of the vine that we're about to take so we can internalize it and make decisions to change and be like Jesus. Thank you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.